Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today in John chapter number 11, we're going to listen to a conversation that once again exists between Jesus and his disciples, this time about a good friend of Jesus's called Lazarus. The reality of death, the reality of resurrection, the truth of what life really is, all these things we'll discover as we dig into this chapter. And so let us turn to the Lord in prayer, asking His blessing upon us as we get into this. Father, we are again thankful for this day that you have provided us for this opportunity in the middle of the week to just worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth, to praise you for, for your word and the way in which you will speak to us through this message that is delivered to us concerning what death is and what life is and the reality of how we are connected to both. We'll thank you, we'll praise you for the blessing that is given to us in Jesus this day. Amen. Beginning in verse number 1, the scripture says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death, for it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man, the Son of God, may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Well, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, or Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> now, a precious moment that, that comes from Thomas, understanding that this same Thomas is the one that we often call Doubting Thomas. This is the one that we often uh, speak of when we look at the resurrection of Christ as Thomas coming in in the upper room of, in, the, in the midst of the, the disciples at that time and said, Well, I'm not going to believe unless I see it. Now, the truth behind Thomas is that he's not doubting at all. He's what we would call an empirical person or an empiricist. Those who are empirical in their thought require evidence in order for them to believe something. So if I cannot taste it, touch it, or, or see it, or hear it, or smell it, as it was with the senses of the body, then it must not be real and I, must, I wouldn't be able to connect with it. 
So being very empirical in his thinking, it doesn't mean that he doubted. It just means that he wasn't going to truly believe in this thing until it was real to him, until he, he was able with his senses to connect with it. Well, the truth behind the gospel is that it's both empirical. There are things about the gospel that we truly can taste uh, the word of God. It's the bread of life. Taste and see that the word is good. Uh, There are things that we hear from the word of God that we see with our eyes. The Lord Jesus and in the works that he's doing in the written word. So there are empirical ways in which we can connect with what the word of God says. But We also have to connect with the rational side of things. We need to use our rationale, uh, the, the ability to consider a thing through logic to understand the process of it in order to believe it. And so we find that this Thomas, who is called a twin, in another translation you'll see him called Didymus, which is the point that he is the ditto of another, he is a twin, is the reality that he's really actually a pretty strong follower of Jesus. This Thomas, while he's got Jesus in his grasp and he believes him to be Messiah, says, hey, you know what? Let's go die with him. Praise God. I mean, if, if he's going back to Judea, and as you saw in these first 16 verses, uh, it was the disciples who said, wait a minute, Lord, you're going to go back to Bethany. You're going to go back to the land of Judea, even though those people have sought to stone you. You're going to return essentially into the lion's den again. And Jesus said, hey, my friend Lazarus has gone to sleep, but I'm going to wake him up. And they said, well, okay, I'll, let's go die with him. You know, I mean, it's going to happen, so we might as well get to it. But some really beautiful things have happened in these scriptures right here. I'm going to take you back up to verse number one, is, is the connection of this people to Jesus. And so in verse number one, it says, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So we know that the location that Jesus is going to is Bethany. And Bethany is just north of Jerusalem proper. And and it's within walking distance to Jerusalem, within seven miles to the north, whereas Bethlehem would be seven miles to the south of Jerusalem. And so that we would find that, that this is where this man Lazarus, Mary and Martha, would be. Now, a very neat thing about this Mary is is recognized in verse number two that Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So now we have this connection, this familial connection. Well, Mary was that young lady who, when the, the Pharisee invited him over to his house, that Mary discovered that Jesus was in the house and that she came in from behind him, got down on her knees, and began to wash his feet and use the tears of her eyes as the water for his feet and, and use that alabaster ointment that was supposed to be everything that she had for a dowry that would be left and that she would anoint his feet with it. And of course, the the Pharisee and Judas both would chastise this woman so as to say, why didn't you take the ointment and use it, you know, sell it to be able to get the money and and the Pharisee would chastise her because of her background as being uh, believed to be a Magdalene, which would, was a word that is a prostitute. But at this point, Jesus corrected both his, his disciple and this Pharisee by saying, when I entered into your house, you didn't offer me any water for my feet. You didn't offer uh, to wash my feet at all. This woman has not only washed my feet, but she's done so and dried them with her hair and anointed my feet with oil. 
and that the work that she had done is a greater work than any of the rest of you had ever even thought of. Well, this is that same Mary that you have in connection. Now, this Lazarus, as you find that he was a man that was ill, is the exact same Lazarus of Luke chapter number 15. So let's let's take a look at, at this place. In Luke chapter number 16, okay, oftentimes I, I get between 15 and 16 trying to figure out where Lazarus fits here. But in Luke chapter 16 is the story of Lazarus. And understand that this gives context to who Lazarus is. He says in verse number 20, it says, And at his gate, this certain rich man that Jesus talks about, at his gate laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores. Well, of course, in, in John chapter number 11, we understand that he was a man that was ill. And when we consider the sores that he was covered with in, in the illness, he's, he's he got boils come up all over his skin. It's very possible that he was a man afflicted by leprosy and, and so that he was covered with these sores. And this, this man at his gate desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table, which was a custom during the period of time that if any scraps would fall from the table, that they would be provided for the poor that would be outside the gates. So he was desiring to be able to be fed from whatever fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, it reveals in verse 21 of Luke 16 that even the dogs came and licked his sores. The disgusting nature of the sores that would cause the dogs to come and lick him. And it reveals that the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Now the poor man died. Well, the death that's being referred to in Luke 16 is Jesus is using Lazarus as telling a story because this is an event that actually happened. We see it happen in John 11 and that Lazarus had died. He said the poor man died. It was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Now we understand the rich man died also and was buried. By the way, he didn't say he was carried to Abraham's side. It just says he was buried. Well, in Hades or in hell, being in torment, the rich man lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham and far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water to cool my tongue, for I am in anguish and in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And the whole story that is spelled out in Luke chapter number 16 there is dealing with the same Lazarus. And so that we're about to see the resurrection of this Lazarus, we understand that upon his death, he enters into that place called paradise that Jesus promised the, the thief on his left side that he would go with him into paradise. So we see that paradise as being with Abraham. We understand that that point of paradise, otherwise known as Abraham's bosom, found in Luke 16, was across a gulf that was affixed from this place of Hades or this, this point of torments and hell. And the reason why those saints and the reason why Lazarus was unable to be in the throne room of God is because the, the Lamb of God had not yet been given. The blood of Jesus had yet been shed. So those people were not capable of being set free in that moment, but they were in a place of rest and peace, not in torment, because they were believers in the Messiah that was to come. Now that Messiah has come, he's going to go where Abraham is and where we see Lazarus in Luke 16, Jesus at his death in those three days, as revealed in, in also 1 Peter chapter 3, that he spent those three days in what is called a prison, that Jesus is going to be 
in that place of Abraham's bosom for those three days, and then that he would rise. And in his resurrection, he brings all of those saints of the old covenant up with him out of not only that place of, of Abraham's bosom, but also out their bodies, out of the graves. And so that it would reveal in Matthew chapter 27 that all of those old covenant saints their, their tombs were raised from the ground and that their, their bodies, they came out of the ground. They were walking around and it is referred to in Revelation chapter number 20 as the first resurrection. And so we, we got this connection with Jesus as, as a resurrection in life. But at this point, it isn't going to be a massive group of people. It's just going to be Lazarus. But I wanted to bring all of that out. Because I want you to understand, so many people use Luke chapter 16 as a parable, but it's not a parable at all. It's an actual event that Jesus was a part of and is revealed in John chapter number 11 in, in the resurrection perspective of what was being spoken of in the conversation there in, in Luke chapter number 16. That's the same Lazarus. It's the same connection. It's that point of death, and it's going to be the point of resurrection. And so that you'll find that, that this Mary who anointed the Lord in verse number 2 with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, this is a pretty huge perspective is because what we see about Jesus, not only in his humanity was he connected to this Lazarus and this family of Mary and Martha, his sisters, not only in his humanity is he connected to them as, as being uh, familial in his love for them, but also in the divinity as the Son of God, which, by the way, you're about to see in verse number 4. Often Jesus refers to himself as being the Son of Man. But in this case, as he's speaking to them about the, the reality of Lazarus, he says this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So in this place, you find that the, the love of his divinity is going to be in the power of the resurrection of Lazarus as well as the love of his humanity that would draw him to this point for his family. And that's just beautiful. So the sisters send him and say, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And verse number four, this is the very point that Jesus made to his disciples. When Jesus heard it, he said, ah, no worries. He said, this illness does not lead to death. What's impossible for anything to lead to death if you are a friend of God? It's impossible for anything to lead to death if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ as Mary who washed his feet with her tears and anointed them with oil, dabbing them with their hairs, with with Lazarus, known as the friend of Jesus, the friend of God. And so, you you know, there's no way that death can come upon you when you're so close to life, when the ultimate life exists in you. And, and so Jesus tells them this illness doesn't lead to death. Just as it was for the blind man in John chapter 9, just as it was for the lame man, at the pool of Bethesda, just as it was for, for the feeding of the 5,000. This is yet another opportunity for Jesus to be glorified 
through the Father who receives glory from the Son. And so that he's going to raise Lazarus from the grave as proving that death cannot have a hold on those who have entered life through Jesus Christ. And that's going to be a very exciting moment for us to experience as well. For the children of God will rejoice in every time that we get a chance to look into this chapter and see the power of the resurrection that holds us to this day. But also for those who have yet to come to believe to realize that the only hope you have in this life is eternal life that is going to come through Jesus Christ as revealed here. So hold on tight. The scripture comes down As he says to his disciples, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, it shows you this, and it's very important that you see the the pattern of this. Now, Jesus, in verse number 5, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, I want you to see the the order of things found in verse number 5. For the very first and most important conversation that Jesus is going to have in John chapter 11 is going to be with Martha. And he's about to have that conversation, and it's going to come first. Then Martha's going to go and lie to her sister Mary and send Mary after Jesus as he's approaching the house. That's going to be the second conversation that exists in this moment. Thirdly, we're going to hear the command of Jesus towards the middle of this chapter, towards the end of it, as calling forth Lazarus to rise and come forth. So when you look at verse number five, you're, at, you're ultimately going to be getting the order of the conversations as they're going to appear all the way down to verse number 40. So hold on to that reality and let's see if I'm telling the truth. So in verse number six, the scripture goes on to say, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days additionally, two days longer in the place where he was. Well, the question is, why didn't he advance to the, why didn't he go to Bethany? Why didn't he advance to Bethany? He knows that his friend is ill. Everybody knows that Jesus has a power to heal illness, right? Everybody knows that the blind man could see, that the lame man could walk, that the the daughter of Jairus was able to rise. I mean, everybody knows that, that Jesus... That the, the very Roman centurion whose servant was healed at the very conversation Jesus would have with the Roman. Everybody knows that Jesus could do something for him while he's still alive. But Jesus waits two additional days longer. Now, what you'll find is, is that in these two additional days that Jesus waits in the place where he was, by the time that he does make it, to Bethany, he's going to be four days from the time of Lazarus's death. And so it comes down, just, just keep that in mind, four days, because there's a very important point to that as well. In verse 7, it says, Then after this, he said to his disciples, after those two days, let us go to Judea again. Now, the disciples were rattled by this, as you can imagine. Jesus had just finished disappearing from the Judeans from being arrested and stoned as of the end of, of John chapter number 10. So in his disappearing act, then he would make it back up north further towards Galilee, where he's at least able to do some ministry, that he would say, okay, let's go back. And they're saying, well, Jesus, they said, uh, the Jews were, were just now seeking to stone you and you're going to go back? 
And Jesus gave this great explanation about light and darkness. Now, if you recall, he did the exact same thing in John chapter number 9 when they asked him who, who sinned. Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus said, I must do the works of him while it is day, for the night comes when no man can work. And in that connection is the recognition that Jesus is the light of the world. And so it was necessary for Jesus to do the works that his father has given him to do while he's in this life. Because there was coming a time where Jesus was going to be crucified. And ultimately all of the work that he was able to do in his physical body is going to cease. It's going to come a time where it is night, where it is darkness. And, and that you can't do the work anymore. Same thing is true of you and I. You see, it is given unto us today to serve the Lord because there's going to come a day when when we're going to be taken from this earth and that we're not we're no longer going to be able to serve the Lord for night as it was is going to fall upon us. We're going to fall asleep, meaning that this body is going to perish. It's going to pass away, but we will be taken unto the throne room of God to be with him just as we saw in Luke chapter number 16 that at the death of Lazarus, that it was carried by angels into the bosom of Abraham. And the same thing is going to happen to us when we pass, is that we're going to be carried by angels into the throne room of God, and that our body will be laid to rest, as it is called. And so the, the reality that Jesus teaches here, are there not 12 hours in the day? And, and the connection, of course, is just uh, 12 hours of day, 12 hours of night. We have 24 hours that make up a whole day. Now, granted, in our... Uh, current way of thinking, of course, you could have up to 17 hours in a day. It just depends on where you live as to the amount of daylight that you have in a certain period of time of the year where the earth is rotated and the earth is closer to the sun. You might live in Alaska or you might live somewhere like Finland or, or Norway where you don't have any night at all, where the sun barely breaks the, the horizon before it's risen again. And so we, we get the point, but Jesus is teaching this, that are there not 12 hours in a day? Is there not a period of time in which you're going to be alive, right? We don't know the hours as far as the days that we have, as far as the years that we will be able to accomplish, for only God knows the time of our coming, and only God knows the time of our going. But what we do know is that we have a period of time, obviously because we're right there in it right now. And he says, are there not 12 hours in a day? He says, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world, right? And the reality is, as we live for God, as we walk with God, we're not going to stumble in sin. We're not going to we're not going to fall to temptation and fall to the, the the prey of this world and the devil's wiles because the light of Christ has given us understanding about this world, about us, about sin and about what is pleasing to God and what is not pleasing to God. And so we have all of this information by the Word of God, and we have the ability to walk in His light. In other words, to walk in the day and not stumble because we are connected to the light, Jesus of this world. And this is the point in which he's referring to those, those that seek to kill him, is that they cannot lay their hands on him because they're stumbling around in the dark, the blind leading the blind, both falling into a ditch. They have no knowledge, they have no ability to, to be connected to him or to see him so they cannot find him, and, and it's pretty powerful. The same exact thing occurred back in the book of Genesis when 
the two angels went into the land of Sodom and Gomorrah and were invited into the house of Lot. Well, the, the men of the city gathered around Lot's estate and began to bang on the door to try and break down the door to get a hold of those two men to do all manner of evil uh, things to them, uh, sexually immoral things to them, that it was said that the angels struck them with blindness and, and that they could not see. Well, that is the same exact thing that happened to the Pharisees, each time they've tried to lay their hands on Jesus, they ended up him slipping through the crowd because they were struck with a blindness of not being able to rightly see him so that he could not, they couldn't grasp a hold of him. And, and so Jesus is teaching that in verse number 10, he says, but if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So this is very important to, to grasp is this isn't dealing with something that is external. This is dealing with something that is internal, the inward man, the, the new nature of the Holy Spirit that has sealed us unto the day of redemption as being able to see the light of the world. That word see, being able to understand the word of God, being able to know the, the relationship we have in Christ versus what we see because the light, Jesus, the light is not in him. So there's no possible way that they would be able to see rightly. There's no possible way that they could be able to think rightly because they do not have that Holy Spirit nature. They do not have that newness of nature in them as being born again by the power of God through his grace. And so that all they have is the darkness of their evil intentions. Then, And it's only evil continually as revealed like it was in the days of Noah in Genesis chapter 6. And so he comes down and he says, But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And I love the way that Jesus refers to this that our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Well, a lot of people utilize this for the purpose of being able to teach a doctrine that I believe to be false called soul sleep. And in this doctrine, we find that, that it is believed that the spirits of people are dormant or in a stasis of dormancy inside of the caskets with the bodies in the graves awaiting that time where the trumpet shall blast, and then they will rise up with their bodies and, and meet the Lord in the clouds of the air if you believe in the position of a rapture. But the belief that the spirit remains with the body in a stasis called this position of a sleep or soul sleep is not taught truly by the scripture. As we see that Jesus is referring to Lazarus as having fallen asleep, it's not referring to the position of his spirit. It's referring to the position of his body. It's referring to the person of Lazarus and his flesh as being asleep. And the connection of this, when we see the resurrection, is it's dealing with the flesh in, in the connection of the spirit. And so that the spirit is not trapped inside of the stasis of the body inside of some type of casket in the ground, for they didn't use caskets when they buried people. They laid them on a slab and a stone and they wrapped them in trappings, otherwise known as swaddling cloths, which is interesting because that's what Jesus was wrapped in at his birth, eh? 
but also that, that, that when the body was decomposed and there was nothing left of the body, they would collect the ashes and put them into what is called an ossuary box. And that would be stacked up into the side of this, this catacomb where the tomb was for the slab to be ready for the next person that would die within the family. And so that they, there would be no spirit stasis to be kept at that point because there would be nothing left of the body. It would be about like the same thing that happens with a body put inside of an oven as concerning cremation. Essentially, you take care of in, in an hour what's going to happen over the process of a year with the way that burial was taking place back in the, the ancient times. But the same thing is going to occur as far as the body returning back to the dust of which it came as ash and the bones being left behind, which were collected and put into a box with the person's name on it. And so it's very important to realize that when Jesus is talking about sleep, he's not talking about the spirit because we understand from Luke chapter 16 that at the death of Lazarus, he was escorted, his spirit was escorted by angels unto Abraham's bosom, unto the place where Abraham was. So that the, the spirit of, of Lazarus was not in that body up on the earth, but in that place where Abraham existed. And so that we saw that there was a conversation even that would be held by the rich man and Abraham says to understand that, that, that they're a fully functioning spirit, a fully functioning being there in, in that place. Whereas in our modern day, uh, we will be escorted from this flesh unto the throne room of God and will still be a fully functioning being there in the throne room of God, albeit being, being disconnected from this body as being disconnected from the, the sensory precepts of this body, the the taste, touch, feel, smell, and, and sight, those things necessarily we won't have in relation to where we all will be, but we will be a fully thinking, fully conscious, fully uh, intact being in, the, in that throne room of God in heaven. And so it's very important to realize when Jesus talks about falling asleep, he's referring to the, the passing of the flesh that he's about to resurrect, by the way. And he says, but I go to awaken him. So he's about to resurrect him. Now, this awakening that Jesus is going to do is essentially raising the dead to life. Now, this awakening that is being referred to here happens in two different estates. The first awakening that takes place inside of a person is the place in which they come to faith in Jesus through the leading of the Holy Spirit unto the grace of God. And repentance and, and the acceptance of Jesus as Lord and Savior, we become awakened by the Spirit. We become alive once, well, for the first time. I was going to say once more, but that's not true. Because we become alive for the first time as being filled with the life of Jesus as that is the Holy Spirit that is in him. So we find that this awakening that's going to happen with Lazarus is the second kind of awakening, which is the physical redemption of the body, the physical bringing forth of, of the body being reunited with the Spirit. So what we find in John 11 is going to be the ultimate end of what the rapture will be for the saints that have gone on before us that is soon to come, I believe, very soon to come. 
and that our bodies will be restored in the blink of an eye unto a Garden of Eden, a state, a state of perfection as it was with Adam in the Garden of Eden before the fall, and that our spirits will be reunited with our flesh, with our bodies in the clouds of the air, and in that state of perfection where we now are reattuned to the senses of our eyes, our ears, our nose, our, our tongue and mouth, our hands and feet and, and skin, to be able to experience the, the perfection and holiness of God uh, th that we've never been able to experience before because the flesh of this nature that we're in, like Lazarus, is so corrupt that it's full of of, of all kinds of corruption that would keep us from being able to truly experience the beauty of heaven. And, and our eyes are dim. We're not able to see the glory of God in the, in the heavenly realm. Our ears are dull that we're not able to hear the sounds of glory from the, from the realm of heaven. And, and we, we're, we're unable to feel rightly the, 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 the touch of the master's hand and the blessing because his body is just riddled with death. But we find that when we're separated from this body and when ultimately this body will be raised up and, and, and reformed, completely remade in, in the plan that God had and the original intent of God for what we would be, then, then we'll be able to experience all of that. And what a treasure that will be. So Jesus says, I'm going to awake him. And I long for that awakening. Now, I've already gotten the first awakening. I know my Jesus. Praise God. I see him so vividly through the word of God. I'm connected with him because of his word. Everything dealing with the word of God, living in, in me. And God willing, he's living in you. And in these studies, we come together. He's living through us. And, and so we, we have that first awakening. But longing for the second Longing for the moment in which the body is raised up. Rather, it is in this moment we hear the trumpet sound and we who are alive and remain are caught up together with those who have gone on before us. Or rather, we go on from this life separated from our body and then are reunited in the clouds of the air at that time of the trumpet blast. Either way, that second awakening is going to be the most powerful moment of all of creation because it is the it's the final creation it's the final moment where god makes all things new and there's not really a way to be able to explain that uh, well i i don't think that i even gave it justice in this moment but just to to ponder just to consider that it's it's overwhelming it's awesome is what it is and it, so we come down and Jesus tells him, our friend has fallen asleep, and I'm going to get him up. And the disciples say, but if he's fallen asleep, he's going to recover. You know, if he's finally able to sleep, then his body's going to be able to, to recover. And it's interesting how the, that the people of that time understood the science of the body, even though we didn't think them to be all that intelligent. You know, oftentimes in hospitals, for, for severe cases of trauma to the body, where a person's battered in a in a really bad car wreck or different different issues that have happened they've gone through a great deal of violence and they've been beaten very severely that they will induce what is called a medical coma they will put them into a sleep in the rim level or deeper from the rim level 
of sleep and a stasis as it was because that is where the body begins to work in the healing in the self-healing of 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 its systems and that's how that the doctors can do the greatest amount of work in being able to assist the body in repairing itself because your body has an amazing ability to repair itself but it it requires sleep which is why it's so important for people to be able to get that that if it was possible that full eight hours but that eight hours of a good sleep so that the body can heal itself and it will do that if we will give it that 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 care and render to it that attention and so the disciples understood that they said if he fell asleep then he's going to be able to recover but what is revealed by the apostle john here is that jesus spoke of his death he wasn't talking about being asleep at all he's talking about the fact that he died but in christ this is the point in christ there is no such thing as death in Christ, there is only the position of, of rest because he is the resurrection. He's the life. In Christ, you're born again right now. If you can confidently say that you are a child of God, you're saved, then you already have entered into the beginning of your eternal life. You see, your body may quit working, but this is no concern to you. Because you don't cease to exist because the body quit working. You just transition from that shell unto the throne room of God uh, for a period of time awaiting the reunion of your spirit to a new shell that God will create for you to be able to experience the fullness of his glory and the fullness of your joy in his glory. But you, you can't taste of death. And Lazarus is going to prove that. Now the scripture goes on and it says that Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest and sleep. And so Jesus had to tell them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sakes, I'm glad that I was not there. I mean, anybody who would think that Jesus was a friend of Lazarus, but hearing the way that Jesus is talking about this moment that Lazarus passed would think that Jesus was a horrible friend. <laughs> Because Lazarus is such a friend to Jesus that you would think that even at the mention of an illness that he would go through, that Jesus would have been right on top of that, right? I mean, if he loved them that much, then he would have been there for him immediately, right? But we find that the love of God is not the same as the way that man thinks about love, is it? We would assume that Jesus was not a very good friend. And by the way, Martha really accused Jesus of not being a good friend because when he discovered that Jesus or that Lazarus was dying, that he was ill, he didn't immediately come to his aid. And the expectation that a people would have, even of a pastor, is to say, okay, well, this person just received a diagnosis, they're ill, you need to come. And the pastor doesn't show up and you say, well, what a hateful person, how dare he not show up? And I'm sure it's the same thing that's going through the disciples' hearts, the people's hearts there at Bethany, Martha's heart, Mary's heart to a degree even, is that where's Jesus in this moment? What, why God is this allowed to be? Why have you let my brother die? He's all that we've ever had. He's the only hope we had of income coming into the home. Why did you let my brother die? The accusation against the father as well as the accusation against the son. 
And the reality is, is that we don't rightly understand the purpose of God. We don't rightly understand. And in all fairness, it's why Jesus doesn't just just tear them apart and chastise them severely is because Jesus understands that we don't understand. Jesus understands that it's impossible for us to fully connect with the reality of of his work and of the person of God, the Godhead. And so we, we find that when it comes to this position that he tells his disciples that Lazarus is dead, then he tells his disciples, I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. Because this is a moment that you need to understand. If I would have been there, I would have healed him before his passing, and then it would have just been another sick person that I was able to heal. Now you're going to get the fullness of the taste of the power I have to lay down my life. Now you're going to get the fullness of the taste of the power that I have to take my life up again. And you're going to understand the power of the bread of life as as those who have come to me, I shall not lose one, but will raise them up in the last day. See, in this work that is going to happen to Lazarus, Jesus is going to reveal the teachings of being the bread of life. And Jesus is going to reveal the teachings of John 10 that he just finished talking about as far as the resurrection of himself. And Jesus is going to show us the ultimate authority that he has over life, over death, over hell, over the grave. And Jesus said, for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Let us go to him. So Thomas said, all right, boys, if he's going to die, let's go die with him. We're going down with the ship. (laughs) And with this, I'm going to end because I really want to have a maximum amount of time to be able to share with you the conversation between Martha and Jesus. So now that we've gotten through the conversation with our disciples, we're going to have the conversation that was revealed with whom Jesus loved. As it spoke Martha first, then it spoke Mary, and then it spoke Lazarus. And so we're going to get that from the initial conversation that existed with the disciples as concerning his coming unto Bethany. We're going to see Martha and Jesus tomorrow. And I'm telling you, it's the most powerful thing. Because the way that I see this conversation is that Martha is is definitely accusatory in tone, fussing at Jesus, because if he'd have been there, that Lazarus wouldn't have died. Father, we thank you and praise you for the gift of life, for the blessing of resurrection that we have been promised through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray that we would receive today of the manna that you have provided and ask that you will transform our thinking as we continue to grow through your word. Bless us, Lord, as one in Christ today. Amen. Well, guys, God bless you. God keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And we'll just catch you tomorrow for the conversation of Martha and Jesus. Take care.